Brave Maker currently has a 100% matching campaign. Every dollar donated until December 7th will be doubled thanks to the Jacques M. Littlefield Foundation. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Okay, okay. All right, Gianmarco Sorezzi, yeah? Yes, buongiorno. Okay, molto bene. All right, hey, this is the Brave Maker Podcast. I got Gianmarco on the episode here, and we met kind of briefly, but in a really fun, funny way, uh, when I was in New York at the LOL Comedy Club in Times Square. Yeah, legendary, <laughs> legendary comedy club. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I got a ticket from some guy who was selling, you know, he's like, hey, two for one, two for one, I'm by myself. <laughs> I'm like, how about for one? It's like 50% off or whatever. So I go up these stairs. It looks like super kind of sketchy. I don't know where I'm going. Typical comedy club, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a good time, man. You you were the, I think the first night I went, because I went twice. I saw this guy twice in a row. And the, you were like the final guy at the end. And it was like, you just made it all worth it, man. You're so freaking funny. Well, I'm glad you made it there. Yeah, the guys who sell the tickets aren't the, the greatest salesmen in the world. It's more about quantity than yeah, quality. Exactly. They kind of like <laughs> hobble down Broadway with you, like you know, a limp, and they're kind of like just—I don't know what's going on. If they're high, there's one or, guy. He has a tool. It's just basically like a big like car light on. Just. So just the idea that like you go, oh, I'm blinded, <laughs> and in that moment he would try to sell you a ticket. Yeah, it's kind of like a divine opportunity, I guess, right? He wants to find <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and yeah, you, you you go up a very dark stairwell, uh, but there's good comics there working, and uh, we're doing four or five shows a night. Man, so, so, so let's dive in. You're a funny guy, which means you are very... Um, uh, broken and abused person. Is that how it goes? Is that what every comic sure. says? They've got a. I mean, you hear the life. occasional ones that are just nice lives, but yeah. we all have a little something. I have uh, my parents divorced when I was seven days old, and oh, seven um, days. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's just I, I think anyone who's lived a life has enough suffering to draw upon. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, uh, I think you talked about your parents. Your dad, or your dad getting remarried and then divorced again, but I have I have multiple divorces in my family as well. And really? Yeah. I, so I, I never thought I could get married because I thought like the odds are way against me. Like who's going to want to marry me? And maybe I thought like I couldn't really hold a marriage. So I never saw anybody do it. Right? I have like my grandma who got married three times, aunts, uncles, moms. Wow. It's just nuts, dude. So I think that's cool that you could draw. And by the way, this is called the Brave Maker Podcast, and you're. Well, I think you're one of the first stand-up comics we've had on here. We've only done like 30-some episodes. But I think being a comic, to me, is one of the, the scariest things for me to even consider. So I feel like you have such a lot of, you have a lot of courage to stand up on stage night after night, sometimes twice in a row, and tell stories to get people to laugh. Talk about that whole process and how and why you do it. Well, you know, I, I have a theater background, so I was used to getting on stage. I mean, stand-up is scary because you don't want to go up there and bomb or just start talking and the way you you intonate it, it's clear that you want to laugh at certain parts right, and right. if you don't it hurts 
But, you know, you, you, you eventually develop an act through open mics where you don't feel as much pressure. It doesn't feel as scary. I test out all my jokes. On, I have four uh, younger siblings, thank God. So I will call them and run things just to see if I get a little exhale of laughter on the sure. phone. And I'm like, all right, that won't bomb. Sure. Uh, but eventually you just kind of like it and you do it enough times that it, it doesn't it doesn't make you feel nervous anymore. And someday you, you almost enjoy when you really, really suck because <laughs> you just, you, it's just surreal to be like, you know, I had a people, I had a group of people laughing. That's when you do four shows in a night, you can do one show where you're murdering and people are laughing. And the next one you fight an urge to say, Hey, <laughs> I just killed it. This other right. show. <laughs> Let me play the recording back real quick. Sure. You guys have to understand because that's the thing with comedy is every every new show you have to re uh, earn your worth. Yeah, and if you don't make them laugh in those people's minds, you are the the worst. You shouldn't even have your profession. Um, and uh, it, it keeps it exciting, you know. I think how that- many professions do you get to do where you could every day lose the respect of everyone <laughs> in the room. Within a minute. And then how many jobs do you actually get to tell those stories about failing and then make people laugh? And like that actually becomes another part of your bit in a way. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I All saw, the time. I saw a guy that same night. So he did He did it the same night you did twice. The first night he bombed. It was like painful. People felt oh, no. so bad for him. But then the next night he was like awesome, you know, and he was doing great. So it's like how wild that like, that's your life. You know what I mean? But that's all a part of the, the process and creating these. Things. And it depends what we're working on. I mean, what I think kind of an, an average audience member wouldn't know is like, like, for example, I'm in LA right now. I'm visiting. I'm here for a week. Every show I'm doing here, I'm doing my a material. It's the best I got. Uh-huh. It's stuff I've worked for years. If I'm in New York, and you see me at LOL, you know, it depends. So you might see me at LOL where I'm just like working on new stuff mm-hmm. and uh, you might go and go, what, what is this? But for me, it's like, I have to work it yeah. right now. So what audience members don't know is like, you are not always seeing comedians put their best foot forward. And like, if you see a really famous comedian at a really dinky show, there's a good chance ah. <laughs> they're going to be, cause that's their open mic. The bigger you get, the bigger your open mics get. So I've heard of people like Sebastian Maniscalco, who's, you know, selling out Madison square garden. So when he's performing for a thousand people and he's got Madison square garden next week, he might be looking at notes. He might be experimenting because he could bomb or he could the equivalent of bombing at that level because he's got it because Madison square garden is way more important than the a thousand people here. And that's kind of just how you, your process moves up as you go along. So you said you have a theater background. You're also acting and you're in films. We want to talk about that. But when did you, when did it click for you? When did you kind of feel like, Oh, a stage is what I'm supposed to be doing. I was always like a theater. I I just love attention. I, uh, when I was a little kid, I used to like dance in the living room and I was, I told my parents and I'm four. I'm like, we should move our living room to a stage <laughs> so people can see me dance. And so that, there's, a, there's a deep uh, a black hole of, of needing attention that I have. So then it's like earning that stage because no one would pay to see me in my living room dance. 
and that's that's growing up realizing you have to have something good for people to see unless you want to go into reality television <laughs> so i mean that's kind of what it is it's like you want the attention without the the rec- the work so um i was always in theater i uh i was in the plays in middle school high school went to college for musical theater and uh, eventually i wrote a play it had some stand up in it and a producer friend was like, you should do this. And the stand-up lifestyle was just, it's, it's a different life. I used to like coming home at night. I was a homebody. I'd watch a movie. I'd read. And stand-up has obliterated, mm-hmm. uh, I'd say, 95% of the nights end at, at midnight or one with me working somewhere. And uh, it's a different, I, so I go to bed at 3 in the morning, yeah. average, and uh yeah i was munching on wings at midnight with two margaritas (laughs) a two drink minimum in times square it's such an interesting lifestyle and you're doing a couple of those you know like a a night right and then maybe how many in a row like i was watching your instagram stories and you feel like i feel like every night you in la you've had a show yeah i it's been it's been tough because like in la it's not like new york because the commutes are are oh yeah So I barely made a show. I did a show last night. I took a thirty-minute, a thirty-dollar Uber, and then they were running over, so they they shortened my spot to three minutes. And no. I was like, oh, God. and they didn't tell me. They just oh, lit me up man. in three minutes, and I, what's going on? Uh, wow, that's the bit. So in New York, I would do four or five a night. LOL, like when the holiday season kicks around. At least when I was doing it last year. At one point, there were eight shows. A day on the weekends because the holiday rush they can fill sure, the rooms sure and so that was crazy eight shows a day now, how does that work can i ask so you're obviously in a rotation with them or you're on their their um, roster how do, how do you how do you book you just tell them when you're free and how, you know i mean for people who don't know the comic schedule what's up yeah every club has its own avail system okay so LOL, they just send kind of a Google form, and I mark all the shows that I would be available for. And then once you get them, you know, it, it, stand-up is, co- is a constant game of like, mm, what gig do I cancel for mm. what other gig? What bridge do I burn to do this? Ah. Um, LOL, luckily, because it's for comics a show, like, I'll send in my avails. If anything comes up, someone will snatch it up very quickly. But that's kind of how some some clubs have a online system they use. Some will have a email your free dates, and it's just kind of your job as the comedian to constantly be balancing. You know, someone will book you for one day, and then you get booked for the same day because you sent your avails the week prior, and you're just constantly moving stuff around, trying to make it work, and occasionally, inevitably, pissing someone off. <laughs> and every club, are they basically like, "Hey, here's your." Here's your rate, or are you kind of saying, no, this is my rate? How does it work with like the financial end oh, of that thing? Oh, oh someday <laughs> I will be able to say this is my rate. <laughs> it's, it's a disaster. Uh, no club pays appropriately. They most most pay like whatever they were paying in the eighties. Um, so like it's all over the map. I mean, I do it. Uh, for example, for LA. I've done. Am I being clean on this? By the way, I oh no, you're ask. fine. It's adult. Oh, it's fine. So I've done a shitload of spots here. Uh-huh. I've been paid for one. Oh my um, gosh! 
And that's and that's partly because sure. like I'm visiting. Yeah, they're they they know they're doing me a favor in a certain extent. Okay. So in New York, I would say half, more than half of things I do is unpaid. Wow. Like hosting wow. depends. Like hosting, sometimes I can get forty. I can get a hundred in dinner, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Fridays and Saturdays, you can potentially get paid a lot more. But I'd say like the average spot pay, if you're not at like the comedy seller, is like twenty to twenty five dollars. And then weekends, it's a little more. Wow. And then you make your big bucks on like, I'm hosting uh, two shows on New Year's, and that's going to be very good money. You host a fundraiser, uh, you headline, you make a little more. But it's brutal. It's, brutal. It's, it's, it's more like, it was funny, my, my uncle's having me host some kind of charity, and constantly people say, well, what do you want to get paid for it? And it's the worst, because you have no idea what their budget is. And the worst thing you do is you give a number and they're like, great. Yeah. Like, no, <laughs> like, no, no, no. But I've done the opposite where I gave a number that was too high and they just move on and they don't even get back to you. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> I think in their mind, you know, it's hard because you don't want to type like, hey, this is my rate, but I'm willing to negotiate. <laughs> um, but the other day I sent my uncle, he's like, what do you want to get paid for this? It was a fundraiser at a temple. And I said, I said some amount and, uh, I can say I said 500 and he wrote back and I was nervous. I was like, I hope 500 isn't too much. And he wrote back. He was like, mm, let me see if I can get you a 750. And I was like, God, I suck. He's literally counter offering with more money. <laughs> That's how pathetic I am. My negotiating abilities. Uh, it's so hard on the ego to be a creative person in this industry because it's show, but it's also business. And we would just prefer to just show. I mean, obviously, we work for free all the time. You're working, you're doing it because you love it, because it's getting your name out there, because you're meeting people, because you want to be on a stage since you were four years old. It's so hard, but we also need to eat. Like, it would be nice to pay our bills once in a while. And it's yeah. such an interesting part of the business. It's more, I mean, luckily, I like, I do everything. I do, I do acting stuff, which this year has made me some money. I do a lot of... Uh, Radio stations do like every time you hear a phone call. Most of the time on a radio station, it's completely scripted. Come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you hear like call-ins, so you're acting as someone calling in, like, "Hey, I'm on the Brooklyn yeah. Bridge." Whenever, whenever you hear prank phone calls, and you're like, "Wow, that that worked out so comedically well," or "Wow, why did they keep picking up the phone?" It's like because oh it's gosh. it's an actor. Oh my gosh! Well, I didn't even know there was radio stations still out there and doing that. So I guess if, oh, <laughs> they have to hire actors. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you're doing that. What else? I mean, so I did. Uh, I I just I just shot. I was in Hustlers this yeah, year. Yeah, I haven't just, seen it, but I heard. Did you say you touched it, Jennifer Lopez's butt or something like that? No, no, no. That's what a host said. <laughs> okay, that was at the show. I was at. <laughs> I want to make clear, I did not host Jennifer Lopez's butt. Uh, no, she she kind of offers me a drink in the movie, and I say, "No, I have an early morning," and that's it. That's it. Okay. But it was a great. <laughs> yeah. My, my character's name was Man in Glasses, so you know it's only going to have so. <laughs> Are much you of serious? A- really, Man in Glasses? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Uh, I love it. And then I just did. Uh, I, I was in this. Um, Billy Crystal has a new movie coming out with Tiffany Haddish next year. We just wrapped. Oh wow! And I was uh, I was in that as well. Um, slightly bigger part than Man in Glasses. I had a cool. character name. Very cool. So uh, it's one of the, I used. To, it's like what's the name I of that project? Of, Sorry to interrupt you. It's called uh, Here Today. Here Today. I think our our um, last episode with Adam Campbell, actor, was in that scene. He just talked about being with Billy Crystal. Do you know Adam Campbell? 
Really? Let me check real check quick. Check out see if he's in that. Um, let me just look him up. Uh, so that was that was great. Oh yeah, he totally looks familiar. We didn't have a scene together, but okay. Um, yeah. So so it's like I, I get acting work occasionally, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, the radio phone calls and odd jobs here and there, some writing stuff. But uh, it's very inconsistent, mm-hmm. and I won a bunch. I won some stand-up competitions this year, and that helped me out financially a lot. Mm-hmm. But then I bought a suit for like <laughs> other. You're like, I won a competition, then I had to get some clothes, and now I'm back to zero. <laughs> That's when you when you live cheaply, you you get a list of like things that deeply need replacing, and the moment you get money, you just start working through that that list: new suit, yep. new pan new air conditioner ramen. Uh, yeah. so, Hey, what do you like to talk about? Like, what are the things that you, you poke at in life? What are some of the topics? Well, I definitely talk about divorce. Divorce is a big, and I, I always want to explore more because I think if there's one thing I feel like I know deeply about, it's cause I, I grew up going back and forth. So yeah. I never had like, I never had the, the one cohesive family unit that broke apart. But then my mom and stepdad got divorced when I was like 18, 19. So I got to kind of witness, witness it as an adult. So I just, I love exploring the dynamics of, of parents that date with children. Um, cause my dad dated a lot and, you know, set women with children and kind of the, the new challenges that arise from that. Um, and then the going back and forth and the horrible psychological manipulation parents can't help but fall into the battling. Uh, so I really like that. I love talking. I just like talking about being, I talk, like talking about narcissism. I really enjoy trying to dig into my own uh, desire for attention and love and, and fame and try to poke fun at it because because it's a part of who I am and I can't, I, I don't want to lie about it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of the best way to keep yourself in check is to great. constantly be poking holes in your own ego. Yeah. That's great. Um, so those are my, those are like my favorite things to talk about being a theater kid. Mm-hmm. You got to be careful. Like there's, there's a lot of actors that do stand up comedy. So like, you don't want to be the, you don't want to just talk about the biz, but I've tried to get a couple really solid jokes that I love about just being an actor because there's so much shame and embarrassment and humiliation mm-hmm. that goes with that. It's funny that you think about how many shows are about acting or have been about acting. You sure. Because I think we all, we're all interested in that world. And even those who are in the world, like I love, I, you know, I love hearing acting stories and audition flubs and just ridiculous things that have happened on set. I think that's so interesting because we're all trying to keep ourselves together. We want to like look like we got it together on the outside, but almost every time I'm somewhere doing something, I'm inside going like, I don't belong here, clenching my butt cheeks because I'm so nervous, but I'm like <laughs> looking, you know, I got my hair gel, so I'm looking good, so everything's fine, right? But inside I'm like, I want to get out of here, I don't know what to say. All that stuff, that's just like life, it's right? It's a surreal thing, but yeah, because it's a, it's a taint at like, you know, you could be in a movie. There's lots of things that you could do. Anyone can go up on stage and do stand-up. There's always this weird relation because, like, we'll do shows where the headliner is someone who lost their fantasy football bet, 
and so they have to perform 10 minutes for their friends and oh there's a gosh. there's a <laughs> you can't help but feel a little bit um worthless when your profession is the losing bets <laughs> well and they're closing up show that you're so happy to be on because you got paid 20 bucks to do it so there's 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 this weird thing with with that particular art form where it's like anyone can do it but there's there's still obviously people who are excellent at it whereas opposed to lebron you know no one no one can just transition into the nba mm-hmm but like LeBron did some great acting work in a couple movies. True, yeah, train wreck, and right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Meryl Streep's never going to play for the Lakers. Yeah. Um. So, so it's a weird now. Now with acting, they they just the movie's going to use James Dean. They're going to CGI James. I saw that. And like, there's a like deep fake. You know, there, I think especially from from a liberal world, like sometimes. I don't think uh, uh, there's like the necessary sympathy for people who lose their jobs to machines. Cause it's like, well, these are blue collar jobs, but like <laughs> machines are going to come for all of our jobs, sure. yeah. including the creative ones eventually. That's right. So it's, uh, <laughs> it feels like a reckoning and a, a kind of like, all right, well, I better start writing dialogue for this James Dean machine. <laughs> Cause yeah. that's going to be the only viable profession. Isn't that funny? That's what they, I've heard that people say too, that, they think writing is going to be something that stays around, but supposedly there's AI that can create story and stuff too. It just can't create emotion, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think about. we'll get. I hope. I'm hopeful that, and I do think. Like, I don't think people are going to be excited to see CGI James Dean because part of the thrill of acting is it's like it's. It would be like, would you rather watch a, a machine tightrope walk or a human being tightrope mm, walk? Right. The human being because it might fall. True. Uh, right. And because you you can talk to it after, and it's not a machine, that's so right. that's my hope. Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting because the I mean, so much of the allure. At least I love I love all the behind the scenes stuff. I, I listen to so many podcasts. I love hearing the actors talk about their prep and being on set. Like that's such a, an appealing part of. I mean, obviously, even in the the awards, you know, season, right? All the actors doing their publicity tours. You're not going to get James Dean to do a publicity tour. That's that's an interesting piece. Attention filmmakers. Brave Maker screens films every month, and we host an annual film festival. Submit your short films and features, narrative and documentaries on filmfreeway.com slash bravemakerfilmfest to be considered. Brave stories, brave makers, and brave conversations. Join us for our next monthly film screening and panel discussion. Tickets are available at bravemaker.com. Now back to the show. Well, so speaking of that, what we always like to ask people, what are you watching? What are you binging? What do you recommend? Oh, man. Right now, I really love Watchmen. Uh, HBO. Yeah. So I I read the the comic a long time ago, but I'm rereading it now. Uh, It's so good. Uh, And I needed something after Succession ended. I was Mm -hmm. a huge Succession fan. And Big Little Lies. HBO really has me in their back pocket. Uh-huh. So cool. I, I uh, I've been watching BoJack Horseman. I'm almost done. And then I can't help but I'm still watching The Office, and I need to stop because I've seen it enough. It's just like a comforting thing. You go home. Like I need to watch Chernobyl. How can I not have seen <laughs> yeah, Chernobyl yeah, yeah. yet? But every time I sit down two in the morning from the club, I'm like. <laughs> 
can't. I can't watch Chernobyl right now. Explosion or Michael Scott. (laughs) Um, But Watchmen is the one, and and Silicon Valley. But Watchmen's the one like where I watch it in full, no distractions. I heard that Craig Mazin and Damon Lindell. No, who's who did Watchmen? Not Damon Lindelof. Is it Damon? I think it's Damon Lindelof. Okay, so Damon and Craig Mazin, who did Chernobyl, are doing a Watchmen podcast. So if you like that, oh, you should take a listen to that. that. And then, uh, and then The Office. You know, uh, yes, yes. What's those two women? They have a new. Yeah, they have a podcast. Office Girls. Yeah, something like that. Jenna Fisher and Angela. Yes. Uh, I forget her last yes. name, but her name is Angela. Yeah, my wife's listening to it. I hear her. I, I honestly, I've never been um, super into The Office until like way after its time. And sure, sure. Because of my wife rewatching it, so now I'm like, oh, cool. Now there's a podcast because that's what I like to do. I want to listen to the behind the scenes and why. I love that stuff so much. So both Watchmen and yeah, The Office yeah, yeah. have podcasts. How oh, cool! All right, cool. So you're an HBO guy. All right, awesome. Uh, we also like to have people talk about, um, like, if you were to get, like, the Brave Maker Award, who are the people who influenced you? Who do you say thank you to as you're holding that uh, tinfoil statuette? Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, let's see. I mean, like, like personal? or Yeah, like whatever. Yeah. Personal. I mean, I think if I ever, like, if I... If I ever got an award, I would I would try to be the guy who just makes a joke. Mm-hmm. I think that's better. But I think I would have to go through a lot of the acting teachers I had over the years, the great acting teachers I had. Uh, there's one woman named Wendy Ward who like was also abusive in many ways, but was a great teacher. Aren't they all for a in year. some way? <laughs> they are. They all are. Uh, teacher named Bruce Miller, Alan Langdon, Jacqueline Jacobus. All those acting teachers in the beginning, they're the formative ones that kind of teach you about art. Mm-hmm. You know, they teach you about acting, but they, they, if they're good, I think they also just teach you about what it means to be specific and work hard and be focused. Yeah. Um, and then I, there's a bunch of acting partners. It's so weird. I have this, this deep acting background that's kind of where my, my youth was. And now I'm starting to meet those, those comedic people where I'm like, oh, these are my new new idols or mentors or whatnot. But I, 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 I think I'll have more as I go along. Are these all New York people? Uh, those acting people. Yeah. I mean, the, that was from, there, there was one from college. I went to university of Miami, but he retired. And then the rest are New York teachers that yeah. like, I just, you know, I either took their class for a year and they just at, at a stage where, you know, very susceptible to like, learning lessons it's you then then you idolize these people and then something crumbles and i think Mm -hmm. as you get older it becomes harder and harder to find mentors because you know how full of shit Mm -hmm. everyone can be um and i I feel like at the moment i'm a a bit mentorless Mm -hmm. uh and i'd like i'd like to find you know that person but but I think, you know, you go through waves yeah. and you have these people who are kind of parent parental figures for a bit and then something shifts and, uh, sometimes they become peers, which is weird. Um, so we'll see. I think as I go up and stand up, stand up is a weird thing. You go around, you're, you're a solo entity and it can be extremely lonely and everyone my age, we, if we're good people, we try to be supportive for one another. 
but we're also you can't help but feel not that you're directly competing but that you know you're 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 in a like an undertow or something you're you're fighting you're constantly fighting for your own survival so it's not that you can't feel good for them or that or that you want them to fail you're just so self-centered because you're just trying to move forward and it feels like there's more and more competition every day. So I feel like sometimes those real mentors, they have to be older or just in a different, different sphere. So you don't feel that same thing. I feel with my peers, we're all just like, Oh, is this okay? Good. That's great. I got to go to this thing. Great. Great job. That's an interesting take because I feel my whole journey too. That's one of the reasons why I started brave maker is I felt as if I never had anyone like put their arm around me and tell me how to do it. It was always like feeling like I was tr- competing and people, you know, people have their guard up at times and sometimes you're, sure. you're a threat, right? Even just trying to make friends in the industry, it takes a really humble person to support other people and to not view that person as someone who's going to take your job. Even as an actor, right? You're going on auditions and you're saying the same people who look like you, same height, same color here, like, dang, better looking, you know what I mean? It's so tough to feel like you can generate relationships, but then also trying, like you're saying, trying to find someone above you. It's a difficult thing. So that's why um, we started Brave Maker because we wanted to help people hear other people's stories. Like, you know, so how do you do it? How do you face the rejection? How, which I would love you to hear. How do you, how would you say to somebody who wants to do stand up stuff or, or acting stuff? How do you deal with all the fears <laughs> that you have to jump into the industry? Sure. I mean, other than please don't, there's so many of us. But, <laughs> we yeah. don't, we're threatened but, by you. <laughs> if someone, of course, if someone's very passionate about it, I mean, it's, it's ultimately, it's just a do thing. I mean, to talk, you know, to talk one over the other to, for comedy, it's just like, there's only one way you got to go to open mics and you yeah. got to, you got to bomb take, if you have the finances, take a workshop, take a class just to familiarize yourself. But ultimately it's about going to mics, doing material, constantly writing, following other great comedians, see how they see how they joke on Twitter and Instagram and live, go to a club and you just have to write. I mean, ultimately there's, there's no, there's no real shortcut. What what is nice about stand up is even though it's one of these these businesses that, you know, Stormy Daniels becomes famous and now she's headlining comedy clubs, is that you once you get on stage, your jokes either work or they don't. The audience will only pity laugh for so long or only like we love you laugh for so long. It that 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 moment is a great equalizer in terms of like if you're funny you will kill even if you're not famous you will kill if you are funny so all i can say is you just got to do and um you have to just listen take people's advice and listen and understand you have to take everything with a grain of salt but i think you just have to be open to that rejection in terms of like hearing what it is they're saying and thinking about it and talking to your friends about it. But I face, I face constant. I, there was a New York club that didn't let me in and they said I was too one man show. Hmm. And like, I was, I was devastated and furious and pissed off. And I, I, I sat down and I decided, you know, I had to decide for myself, like, well, were they right? Is this just one person's opinion? Uh, do I need to change it in this aspect, but maybe not in this? It's a constant game. And ultimately, it is just that one person's opinion. 
But you also know people who like constantly go like, well, it's just one person's opinion and they never take any notes <laughs> and they never improve. Yeah. So you have to live in that unsure place and uh, just constantly question yourself. But ultimately, we all get rejected. I, I get rejected all the time. I, for the 12 shows I'm doing in L.A., I sent at least at least 100 emails and people saying no or people being like, who are you? Or just not getting back at all. Mm -hmm. um, for every joke I have that's done well, I've had thousands and thousands that were terrible. Um, and you have to remember, like, when you see – you always forget when you see comedians, like, their specials, they worked that out for years or they had writers or they worked it out on their friends. No one's going up there. I'm constantly amazed where I will work with a comic at a higher level. You know, we'll be working together for some reason. And I hear their first idea, the, the rough draft and you go, Oh, they're fucking human. They are. You, you're like, Oh, that's a terrible idea that this brilliant person thought of. And that's how you realize, Oh, they, ha they go through drafts too. And it's not like their first idea. Comedy feels like magic when you watch it for the first time. And they're murdering. It's just like, how did they do it? How is it every word they think of is funny and clicks and pops? But it's not. They worked it. Mm -hmm. They worked it to death. Um, and so that, that's all. If you want to do stand-up, you just got to do it. You just can't wait. There's no real waiting. You got to go up and you got to bomb. Mm -hmm. Rarely are you going to be killing in your first couple sets. Just go up and bomb mm -hmm. and enjoy it and feel like you're living you're living life. You're feeling the full spectrum of emotions and you won't get hurt. You'll feel something, but you, you'll, your body will be fine. It's great. And I, I see you and hear you too saying, you know, a lot of the stand up role is, is writing is just practicing, getting it out there. And you do that on Twitter, on Instagram. Like we have all these vehicles right in the palm of our hand to do some of the stuff that we love to do, like acting, you know, I, I, I just, <laughs> I use Snapchat filters all the time just for me, for my own thing. Like I like to create little characters cause it's fun totally. cause I have a blast doing it and I don't care if anybody else likes it, but I do. And sometimes I get people saying, that's funny. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. So there is no excuse is what I hear you saying. Just get out there, do it, make it happen. Just get out there, do it. And then, you know, if you could take like acting, I think find a great class too, you know, just, just go do it. Find those teachers, find those people, fall in love with, find a mentor you respect and admire and then let it crash and burn to the ground and mm -hmm. abandon it. Like you just got to invest. The only way to, to improve is, is, is to make those investments. That's great. Are you mentoring anybody? No, I mean, uh, people sometimes ask me for the occasional lunch to, to pick my brain, yeah. which could be fine. <laughs> I, I hope, I hope eventually to, to be that kind of positive force. Ultimately though, if anyone kind of comes to me for advice, my first thing I'm like is go to therapy. I'm <laughs> more just like go to therapy to help find, to help improve all aspects of your life. Yeah. That's good. So that's usually my big pick is telling people to go to therapy. That's great. I agree. Do you feel like comedy is therapy for you? Part of your therapy? I mean, to a certain extent, I think it's, it's part of just, it fulfills whatever wound I have. Yeah. I feel like if, if I was fully healed, I, I would no longer feel the need to have strangers approve of me every single <laughs> night. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think, 
I'm a big believer therapy is therapy and everything else can aid and aid in that, in that, but it's always good to like talk about the real stuff. Sure. I try in therapy not to, not to uh, try to be funny in therapy, try to not make that my goal. But if my therapist does crack a smile, I feel a deep <laughs> sense of pride. Yeah, that's great. Well, John Marco, thanks so much for being on the Brave Maker podcast. Thank you for having me. How can people find you on the socials? So it's it's my long ass name. It's uh, <laughs> John Marco Cerezi. So I'm sure it'll be somewhere written, but G I A N M A R C O S O R E S I. Uh, and yeah, I post funny stuff on on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, I always post shows wherever I am. Yeah, so we'll put that in the show notes. So follow him and. If you want to come out to the Bay Area, May 15 to 17, here's your official invitation. If you want to do some stand-up, we have a three-day film festival. We do. We have live music and art shows. We haven't had uh, any comedy yet, but that would be fun to explore oh. something like that. I uh, mean, Marco. I'm definitely interested if you want to talk. I we would, can pay I you would, more than 20 to. bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let, write me. I would love to come. All right, cool. We'll talk. All right, cool, hey, thanks, thanks so, so much. much. Yeah, enjoy L.A. Talk soon. Bye. Peace, man. Bravemaker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the Bravemaker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend.